Alright, I'm gonna record. <laughs> Let me pop my pain pills. Yep. Get cooked before we get into these idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, friends, to another outing of Oscar Bait. Before we get started, uh, we have to acknowledge, as we always do, when we make mistakes, it must be corrected. And the last time our uh, Patreon users heard from us, um, we, during a conversation where John was in true genuine pain and has an excuse and I was just a little too drunk, we talked about Kurt Mac and Robert Mac as if they were the same person. They're not, but their movies are both great, so that's okay. So, with that said, we're back. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> and we're really excited today. We're going to uh, have a fun conversation about something that I think if you haven't thought about, you certainly will be soon. And uh, we're here with our uh, wonderful friend, Louise Ward, who is a filmmaker, a film critic, a producer, a writer. Um, I don't, there are so many things. I guess really just, uh, really just runs, run shit now, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think most importantly, I'm, I'm just really dumb. And I think that really like factors into <laughs> what we'll be talking about today. <laughs> Yeah, we're stupid. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Hold on. My fucking uh, water's on the... All right. Give me an hour before I uh, just go get my water. <laughs> well, while John's on that journey, um, we're going to talk about something today uh, that Louise and I were talking a little before we started recording, but I've heard talked about in different terms, kind of, but never put so succinctly as when this is when uh, Louise was in Chicago, uh, not this most recent time, but before that. Um, I, what it, were we doing again? I don't remember. Who knows? We were, knows? We, were we were making friends, uh, you know, spreading spreading love, just making the world a brighter place. I, I love that uh, Peter and Betsy are in Sean Price Williams' new film that just premiered at Cannes, and I saw the right. reactions of people going like, "Oh, that was a fucking crazy thing to open the movie with!" Just that cameo by those two. That's right. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, yep. So last time when Louise was here and we were with our friends Peter and Betsy, um, I heard, and if I'm remembering it correctly, you weren't even talking to me. I just was overhearing a conversation about you talking about um a movie coming up that at the time was not yet called Bo is afraid but now is and you called it idiot auteurs and you said i fucking love idiot auteurs <laughs> and i was like wait i gotta eavesdrop on this more and i realized you were as i said talking about a thing that i'd heard put in different terms but never quite so perfectly so i guess where we'll start is just uh how do, how do how do we get to that term and what do you mean when you say idiot auteurs okay so this this could be a long conversation i want to the thing is <laughs> there's no one definition of 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 what i'll more explicitly call dumb guy auteurs because yeah. i think that like guy is a really important distinction because like we could look at a movie like tank Girl by rachel Talalay, which is a blank check studio movie that has all of the same compulsions as the other sorts of movies we're going to be talking about. But there's something uniquely special about that that does not translate to the type of work <laughs> we're talking about. Like, <laughs> all of the pieces are the same, but I, I don't think, I, I really don't know if, like, 
a, a, a cis woman filmmaker could make a dumb guy tour movie. I've not seen it yet. Um, no. Take that challenge though. If any, yeah, I think, I think we've got to, you, you know, you know why it doesn't happen is because mm-hmm. how many times have uh, women gotten a blank check studio yeah. movie? That's really, uh, that's more it. It's just, they don't have enough opportunity to fuck up. <laughs> yeah, believe, exactly. Believe, believe all of us here today, white women will fuck up. <laughs> and it's coming yeah. if it hasn't already happened but yeah i mean because you said tank girl is like tank girl's sick yeah. i love tank girl I, it, I, shouldn't I like... work. it shouldn't work at all because of all those things but it does work because like you said i think being given that chance is not uh that common um i, I honestly i think it's because women know they can't fuck up I think that's really it. They won't get like, another shot if they do. They don't, it doesn't matter if Bo is afraid made like fifty bucks. Ari would still like still going in production on his next movie. Like yeah. he's fine. Well, like, I mean, I mean, you, we have our one of our favorites. I'm sure Elaine May is the probably the goddess of fucking the bag up big and then. But not really because <laughs> we. I mean, it's trad to say we uh, Ishtar is a good movie, but it's like that happens it makes all the papers and then suddenly it's like don't let these bitches touch the purse like they they clearly can't handle the the shit but and i think like because that's probably like a 50 million dollar movie tank girl's probably what like 20 15. yeah it can't be that much i don't know um but yeah no that's interesting tank girl probably is one of the last like big here's a big check you know go for it for a woman i guess nancy myers came close recently she was supposed to do like some 300 million dollar movie for netflix oh which is like god and then that got shut down of course yeah because because what's interesting now is like like even like something like um tank girl fits into like an ip categorization that's at a time before we were looking at like comic book and such adaptations in the way we do now because like any like big studio movies have so much control over them now um, when they're like IP focused, especially like comic book adaptations. Um, so like when we see like women directors getting these like big tentpole movies, they don't have much control at all over how the movies actually turn out. Like I remember there was that story of like um, directors turning down doing Black Widow because they wouldn't be allowed to direct the action sequences. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, uh, you know, if you're going to be hiring some like auteur, you've got to give them free reign to waste your money. And I think that's <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today, because, oh, my God, has a lot of money been wasted on the filmmakers <laughs> we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't have probably hurt Marvel that much to let Lucretia Martel waste some money <laughs> with them and do a Black Widow. But I wish. I wish. Who yeah. do you think before we move on? Who do you think because now women are getting more of a shot? I mean, who knows? This could be a flash in the pan in Hollywood, but where they get there's more movies being made by women probably now. Um, who do you think is going to fuck up? Who's going to be the first? Uh, I mean, definitely not, not Louise. <laughs> <It's you. laughs> if anyone trusts Louise with those these kind of budgets. <laughs> Well, and we'll, we'll revisit that at the end about the movie that Louise is working on that all of you are going to help fund um, because Louise will not fuck it up. But I think here, I think it's Olivia Wilde. That's my vote for our first. Here's the question, like saying like, don't worry, darling. Right. Like, does that fall into this? 
right? That that I think it flirts. It flirts on it, but I think it's that same like edge that we're skirting here because it also because <laughs> okay, let, let's actually get into a definition. So so okay. dumb guy auteur movies. So here's how I have I have defined it um, when pressed, which is it's a type of movie defined as an auteur given a blank check gets to make his kitchen sink movie about his resentment towards women. Yeah. And um, I, I recently saw a, a wonderful quote that I want to supplement this with from Matt Johnson, the the incredible Canadian director behind Blackberry, which everyone should oh, see. Oh, yeah, I still got to see it. Which is, um, okay, uh, he, he, I'm just going to read this whole quote. This is from an interview he did with Letterboxd, but it's, um, Johnson gives a review of the Lee Cronin directed Evil Dead Rise saying it's better than you'd think it's a lead performance from this mom who does not give up I liken it to the performance of Andrew Garfield and Under the Silver Lake and more recently Joaquin Phoenix and Bo is Afraid horrible movies where the actor doesn't give up I love movies like this because you're watching and you're like give up Garfield you know this is trash or Joaquin like it's over. You have to stop. They're totally committed. Every single scene. And it's like a marvel to watch them do it. Uh, That's a good so, way to define it. Okay. So I, I think that like it's this perfect storm in which everyone making the movie takes the auteur's vision extremely seriously and does not give up on the vision. Um, and because of that, you end up with like truly amazing, sincere dumpster fires. And I think that that's kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I, I love that that Matt mentions both Garfield and Under the Silver Lake and um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix in Bo's Afraid, because I would put those in the same vein as like, uh, in, in the same vein as like these sort of movies where it's like, I've defined this also as the Southland Tales effect, where where it's like, you know, your dumb guy auteur, everyone's trusting him the most. So they'll do anything that that's asked of them. <laughs> and, and and it's marvelous. It, it it's marvelous to watch. I mean, like Southland Tales is one of my favorite movies. And that is like the epitome of the dumb guy auteur movie. I like that one with the the moment to highlight exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> in that movie. And yes, it's you know, it's a it can be an uncomfortable moment. Uh, but the fact that Sean William Scott, who already, right, had massive guilt, as we know, for being a part of the definitely character that actually negatively affected society that is Stifler. <laughs> After the guilt of that, in his insecurity that someone wanted him to be in a big budget Hollywood movie again with big names, he was like, I will say the N word for you in this scene because I trust your vision, because Donnie Darko was so sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, one thing I think we should also define before we go on is the, uh, because I I think a lot of these dumb uh, idiot auteur movies, like they do take out their frustrations, uh, uh, women, but they're also more like the self-flagellation and it's like, yes, you give absolutely. me the most money possible, I will self-flagellate. And I think it's a, I think you could point to something like, um, although obviously it's very different than what we're talking about, but I think you could point to something like Polanski's The Tenant as like, this is the movie these motherfuckers are trying to do every time where I'm going to take genre, all the things that I've been doing, and I'm going to flagellate myself on screen with a budget 
and try to make it like suspenseful, darkly comic, just a mishmash of all these different genres. And I think when you brought up Under the Silver Lake, it got me thinking, well, that's what that is doing. But it's also now we have to separate Bo is Afraid and Under the Silver Lake because Under the Silver Lake is probably like that's uh, that's an eight million dollar budget gone up against Bo is Afraid's $35 million budget. Yeah, exactly. It's that big. It's just crazy. I mean, that's, uh, and I like, I quite like Under the Silver Lake. I think that's uh, just a bizarre ass fucking movie that I didn't like the first time. I think it's a terrible movie. I didn't like it the first time I saw it and I saw it again and I was like, I kind of like this movie. This is better than fucking inherent. This is more of an inherent vice than inherent vice is. Well, we're gonna. We here's gotta, the thing. We oh, gotta sorry, get to PTA on. at some point, though. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and this is the big thing that we have to define here. Like, like yeah. this is why the definition is so important because they're like you mentioned Plansky. I would never call Plansky a dumb guy auteur. I think that guy totally. is like a fucking totally. brilliant filmmaker. He's one of the best. And, and, and I think that like when we're defining like these sorts of of movies, like you can group together like a lot of films that fit into like that auteur given a blank check, like making this sort of like kitchen sink movie. Um, I like the resentment towards women thing because like, I think that it, it unites, it, it's like the the sort of skeleton key that like unites all these things. It's like the yeah, deep Because well, it's always there. It's in, always there. Talking about like, yeah. even if there is like the self-flagellation also that you're talking about, John, and yeah. there are other aspects. The one yeah. thing that I do think is in all of them is even if it's the jumping off point to get to the self-flagellation, it's about whether it's just their mom yeah. <laughs> or or someone yeah. else. It's about a woman that they yeah. hate. <laughs> like, just like just like yeah. a loose grouping of films. So, someone had like challenged me, like, oh well, well, if this is so common, name some. So I was like, okay, like Tommy, Heaven's Gate, Until the End of the World, Southland Tales, Under the Silver Lake, Bo's Afraid were like the one from each decade I gave, basically. Okay. Um, you can also go with like Snecky New York, um, yes. uh, oh, Babylon. I mean, I mean New, like these keep New getting York, made. New York, you know, New York, New York is kind of that weird between the middle. What we're talking about, where it's like it does feature resentment towards women in a pretty heavy way. Yeah, it's self-flagellation where it is yeah. not where it is clearly aware of what it's doing. Whereas moments of like Southland Tales, which I agree is great, there are moments of like. Mm, yeah, I think you're showing so, a little resentment there. So, so I think yeah. think the second caveat we have to add on add on to it is that it has to be a filmmaker who made one movie that is like actually good, universe like like uh, may not universally, but like is like very well respected as like a great movie. Like, yeah, like Donnie Darko, um, yeah. It Follows, Hereditary. Like, I would say Donnie Darko was like leagues ahead of those other two, but like those were big hits that people liked right yeah, um because you have to separate it from like i don't know if you guys remember like the vulgar tourism conversations that were happening like 10 years ago oh, but it was like right. it was like a way of talking about filmmakers like Zack snyder and paul ws anderson who definitely have like an auteur sensibility but they make schlock and that's that's the thing is like you can't count those guys as dumb guy auteurs because it's like it's on the surface that's like consistent with their work like the dumb guy auteur very specifically is someone who makes a great movie and then reveals themselves to be completely retarded with the second movie. Yeah. Like that's, that's like the whole thing. Like, it's like, yeah. that's like the main thing. It's like, Oh no, this guy like accidentally made that first movie good. Cause he's actually like 
a total moron who just like hates women and that just created the perfect storm <laughs> to make one really great movie. And sometimes like the second kitchen sink movie they make is like also great, but like, that's it. Like those are the two they get and anything else can be interesting, but it's diminishing returns from the, the power of that one, two punch of those first okay. two movies. Okay. Yeah. I like this. All right, let's get let's. let's <laughs> this is good. Well, chat. Where where are we going to start? What, what who do we want to dig into first? Well, I think I think we've got to talk about Bo is Afraid because, like, I think I think that it's it's so fascinating. I I forget who I was talking to recently, but it was like I, I they said something to the effect of like it's really funny because clearly Ari Aster was like, I can avoid the misogyny charges by making the lead characters girls in my first two movies. <laughs> and then he doesn't do that again. It's like, holy shit. Like well, and from the opening moments. Yeah. I had one of the I had such a crazy experience. And this is also the first time I've been in a multiplex in since Hustlers. So this is the first time I've been back to a multiplex since then. And within like the five minutes of this movie opening, that's what washed over me. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. He's he pulled a fast one twice. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing. Cause oh, like it's nuts too, because he oh yeah. I don't know. It was well, just, well it's interesting because it's like a Rosetta Stone, because now you can apply that lens to the first two movies and go, oh my god, like that's this is not the reading everyone was taken out of these films, <laughs> right? Like, oh, he was yeah. actually saying the other thing. And yeah. I think that's well, really now all the like all the arguments I had about Midsummer, where I was <laughs> where people were like, I don't know, I think this movie is mostly sympathetic to that shitty dude, despite him getting burned in the bear costume. And I fought with so many people about that. But then as soon as I walked out of Bo was Afraid, I was like, I gotta text some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and like I, I will say like I, I wasn't super hot on hereditary the first time i saw it i thought that it had structural inconsistencies and i think that more than anything like watching it i was just like really this guy who made that short film got this feature because i was like you know bitter because like <laughs> i was hadn't made anything in so many years and yeah. <laughs> i was like really this guy okay um the guy who made like thing about the johnsons that guy gets the feature really yeah. really well the thing that like i the thing that i loved so much about hereditary midsummer that's so glaringly missing from here is the comedy because i think both of those are very funny movies in a lot of ways and like yes they're you know they're intense and in, in moments and lots of grief and all of that because we're in a24 land but I think they're so funny and that to me is what kept them like interesting and Bo is afraid now feels like he's confident in that comedy. And so none of it works. <laughs> it, it's so funny though, because movie. the fact he's trying to hurt made me laugh. Like I laughed yes. pretty hard at Bo is afraid. I thought it was very funny. Okay. I just, <laughs> I, have not, I have not seen this movie, so I'm listening to you two talk <laughs> about it, but <laughs> First thing I'm noticing is there's no comedy in this movie. Well, there is. There's there is absolutely. It's a, it, oh. it, it is a comedy. It's a dark yeah. comedy. Okay. It's, so it's I, don't, like, I, I don't think it's funny in the way he thinks it is. No, this it doesn't not. work. Like it's okay. funny because it's a joke on himself. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> but I hope he doesn't. I I hope he doesn't hear me talking shit. Like Ari, I still like. 
<laughs> I, I'm still DTF. Okay, like. <laughs> yeah, Ari. I, no, I, I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not like these two shit talking. Your your words. Yeah, no, no. I'm definitely not shit talking. I'm sorry. Well, you, we can sorry, take Ari. acid together. We can be cool and take acid together sometime and be like, damn, bro. <laughs> that dude's mommy issues are awesome. Like he. He would say the worst shit to me in bed. That's why I like his films. <laughs> That's why that DTF still stands so strong. Oh, no. The second that Bo is Afraid's credits came up, the first thought in my head was, God damn, why didn't I fuck that guy at Sundance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I fucked up. I made a huge mistake. Yeah. God damn it. Like, why did I ignore him? That was so <laughs> stupid. He's, he's shorter than me, but like, I realized after seeing Bo is Afraid that he would call me a tranny while like six inches deep or whatever so like oh he's not he's not six inches he's four but a a general (laughs) four but he's he will call you that yeah i hope i hope so i hope so that's all i want that's all i want from a boy hey sing it first all you know That's that's, that's what we'll call the episode dear re dtf (laughs) yeah there you go i mean well before we get too far into that pool uh (laughs) what i'm hearing here is a uh is a24 seems like they've really loosened the purse strings for probably their two big you know would you say hereditary and midsummer are probably their biggest hits so far well till everything everything everywhere obviously oh shit i always forget that that's them Oh, that movie just upsets me. Um, I love that film. I loved that film a lot, honestly. You have to come back on, and we will we will battle about everything everywhere. Wait, do you guys both not like it? Hate yeah. it. Hate it. Hate yeah, it. Hate oh, you know what? For an upcoming episode that we're doing, I found a movie that I think I hate more. <laughs> recent. Well, that oh was not, I definitely. I, I don't get too distracted, but I'll just say, like, I saw that like eight times in theaters. I loved it. I, well, I can, that'll be another yeah. fun because we can, I can pitch to you what genre I put that movie in, which is dudes' dorm room posters movies. And yeah, we- which is, uh, that's my, that's my favorite type of movie. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have liked it a few years ago, but I started taking estrogen pills, and now I'm just like, oh, yeah, pretty colors. All right. <laughs> so now we're getting to the bottom of this. This is why you're seeing <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so we're going to – we'll sideline, but also, John, I'm definitely with you. I hate how to blow up a pipeline a lot more than I do everything everywhere. But- yeah, yeah. Oof. Ooh, I, I – yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I know people involved in the movie, but – I yeah, say. I do too. Yeah, we, we unfortunately do too now. But actually, I'm joking because uh, I love it. Yeah, it's actually really great. It's a really it's a great good movie. movie. It it's blew really up. My, good. It blew my mind. Like that. that yeah. Dang pipeline. My my brother texted me because my brother's a my younger brother is a pipeline engineer in Alberta, and he said oh, shit. he was like, "Louise, I can't wait to go because I want to see if they got it right." <laughs> Did you get a text after? <laughs> he said, "I hated it." <laughs> i don't know who that was anyway never mind uh so <laughs> we're all trying to get we're all trying to keep working here so okay so all right to give this a little bit of structure because like i do like structure of my life yeah. sometimes um the way i had pitched this to will initially was that we would each try to um 
express three guys we thought fit into this dumb guy tour categorization and kind of make a case for them. Yes. Um, I think that uh, we'll probably have overlap here. So we'll just kind of see where the conversation goes. But if we just want to go around with each of us, like basically arguing over a filmmaker, I think that could be a fun way of doing it. Yeah, you can just throw one out and see where it goes. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I obviously want to start with Richard Kelly, who who is like the whole impetus for why I even started thinking about this in the first place because like I remember so vividly when I was a kid I saw Donnie Darko for the first time mm -hmm. I was like you talk about like dorm room poster movies oh. like I I saw that movie I was like in like junior high high school and I was like this is the best fucking movie ever made like nothing else could compare to this movie yeah. I was like I was like, this is like a modern Stanley Kubrick film. Like, I was obsessed. That was what my, like, 13-year-old brain thought. So I um, get, like, so invested in Donnie Darko. And I remember the, the fucking director's cut comes out on DVD. And I yep. went and I bought that director's cut. <laughs> and it's the worst thing. <laughs> it's truly one of the worst movies ever made. Like... So it ruins every single thing I like. And I go back to this, this amazing um, Walter Hill, his commentary track for the Warriors. Yes. He talks about the movie. And as he goes through it, every single scene I like the most, he's like, oh, yeah, we fucked that one up. Like, oh, yeah, that was because that actor called in sick. Like, oh, yeah, that was ad libbed. Like, I was like, oh, none of the things I like about this movie are are like intentional like they're all like the happy accidents that happen while you're making a movie and <laughs> i i saw the the director's cut dark and i was like oh the whole movie was a happy accident like there was like there was not a if richard kelly was not reeled in by his producers to like deliver that original cut it would be the it'd be a fucking no one would even think about that movie it'd be as bad as like every other like direct to video like horror flick from the time right like no unbelievable how much of a difference there is and i remember uh cell plan tales coming out and i rented it from our little mom and pop video store i put it on with a group of friends and when it ended this was also the theatrical cut obviously which i prefer the theatrical cut again to the director's cut of cell plan tales but we put on the the theatrical cut and remember we're in like junior high we're all like 14 15 years old or whatever and so then tells ends and all my friends are like, that was the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. Like, can you even call that a movie? And I remember I sat there and I said, no, I think that's one of the like greatest films ever made. Like I, this is going to be my personality. I love this movie. And I've <laughs> always been a proponent of Tales. The biggest fight I ever had with my ex-wife Dion was I had spent the first seven years of our relationship talking about, how great Southland Tales was and how if I ever made a movie, I would I would aspire to make something as good as Southland Tales. And finally, that Arrow Blu-ray came out. So I put on Southland Tales and I watched with Dion. And I could just see Dion getting so fucking angry as we watched, like so mad. And afterwards, we had one of the biggest fights of our entire relationship because she said, that's the movie you want to make? Like, I've been trusting you as, like, a partner this whole time. And, like, that's what your aspirations are? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> so, I mean, like, I've, I've got a deep connection to, to Richard Kelly's work. Also, 
dumb guy tour hates women. I mean, like you can see it in the movies, obviously, but he also funded the I hope they serve beer in hell. He produced the he produced. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I hope they serve beer in hell. The Tucker Max, uh, like pickup artist guy, beat me to uh, it. I had a joke. I had a joke locked and loaded for that one. (laughs) Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, then he did the box, which is actually like amazing. Like Like it's just like feature length Twilight Zone episode. So weird. Doesn't really have. It doesn't like have much. It's not well a well-told story like every time i've like watched it i've been very confused at a lot of the choices that are made but it's amazing that he got to make another movie after southland and that even though he was real like you can tell he was reeled in a lot by the street he still gets some of that like weird like water imagery and all this like shit that are his like little pet fascinations in there Mm -hmm. um but I mean, like that one-two punch of Dine Darko Southland Tales is like the epitome of the dumb guy tour because it's like it's that Emperor's New Clothes moment where it's like, yeah. oh, everything that worked about your first movie was was a complete accident. Well, um, and they tried to yeah. make the box kind of like an idiot tour thing, right? Wasn't that supposed to have, be like much grander? It was supposed to have this whole like I, I don't know if they shot it or if the script was bigger, but I do know that that got like truncated pretty hard. Yeah, I believe that's the case. I, I would be curious if he has like another unhinged director's cut of that movie. Um, <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, I, I'm curious if anyone will fund another film from him. Yeah, what's going know? on there? Let's let's, let's you know what? Let's take a little. Take I a to see. I, that's um, a name I don't think about a lot, but now I kind of want to know what that yeah. Richard Kelly's up. I to. mean. The, the the thing with like the Emperor's New Clothes comment too is like I always go back to the, there's the great documentary Overnight about the making of the Boondock Saints. Oh, the best. And there's a scene where Ron Jeremy is talking about how genius Troy Duffy is and working with him. And uh, Ron Jeremy's like, yeah, fucking the costume designer comes up, he puts sunglasses on me, takes them off, and says, Troy, sunglasses on or off, and without missing a beat. You see it him thinking in his head, and he goes, ah. Oh, on sunglasses on and ron jeremy's like i j- that's a no tour right there like that guy knows exactly what he's doing he knows he has the whole thing planned out and i was just like uh, th- to watch him i was like no, no no it's like this guy's got such an ego he thinks he has reasons behind him doing what he does yeah but he doesn't it's the same thing with in, in midsummer one of the things that annoyed me the most is is there's all the like drug sequences where you can see the 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 girl with the hose in her mouth, like the sister, is like put into the like foliage in the background as a superposition, so and it's like, you think you're doing something, but you're not. You're, you're it's empty. Your head is is, is you're, you're it's like such a a dumb guy maneuver. It's like you think you're doing something smart, but there's it's meaningless. It, it absolutely yeah. is. I wanted to walk out of the movie when I saw that. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is I don't know if I'm on board with this. Well, it's, like, I, I, it's, yeah. it's especially amazing too and so unique to this kind of filmmaker in that it's not classic Hollywood shit where it's clearly just like a, a coked out idea, right? You know, like because mm-hmm. those are that's easy to spot and that's everywhere, but that has so much less like passion behind it. Like these the moments you're bringing up, these filmmakers are like, wow, I fucking did it. 
Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is going to blow minds when people rewatch this movie and see all the secret stuff I put in. They're really going to be. Floored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that perfect balance of intent and stupidity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's it. it Cause sometimes the idiocy pays off. You know what I mean? Like you can, cause either it's like, they want to dissect themselves or they almost want to dissect their career and like the films that they've done. Like I think about, like I think about maybe the only successful idiot auteur that I can truly think of. And that's Tobe Hooper with, uh, and I'm not saying he's bad. I, I, I like basically everything he's done, but I mean, life, life force has got to be one of the most like, why did people give you $30 million to make this movie about the space vampire? And it just, it's, it's, it bombs horribly. He's like, he not only does that, but like, he's like, does that then immediately is like, I'm going to do Texas Chainsaw 2 and just shit on the movie that like gave me my start. And they're both yeah. these like crazy, like spending way too much money, doing way too much genre mishmash but i think they're smart no yeah. they are that's what yeah, i think it, i think there's yeah. real intent yeah. behind what toby hooper is doing and, and yeah, well, it's interesting because yeah. it's yeah. it's hard to define how genre filmmakers fit into this um like definition because like ari aster is like a genre filmmaker but he has aspirations to not be like he doesn't want to be a horror filmmaker and like you see yeah. that in bo is afraid so much of that movie is him interrogating like the reputation his first two films brought him <laughs> and it's like really unhinged and weird um but like you look at like t like you could easily say like yeah texas chainsaw massacre 2 to texas chainsaw massacre 1 is like such a crazy like difference but it's it, it's one builds on the other. It's not like um, TCM two does not like recontextualize the first movie. You know, like it, I, at least in the way that like once you see Southland Tales, it recontextualizes what Donnie Darko is. Where you're like, oh, a dumb guy made that movie. I I think that you can't look at like the first Texas Chainsaw and go, a dumb guy made that movie. It's impossible. Like that's one of the greatest movies ever made. No, no, um, I, I don't think yeah. so. But I think like he's someone that gets caught up in this because he's looked at as someone who makes a lot of like, like he shouldn't have done Texas Chainsaw too. You know what I mean? Like we agree because we get it. Like we see Tobe Hooper is like you're an artist. You've you never stopped. But like. I mean, the box office returns and uh, the critics and audiences did not. Uh, I think they would be pretty. Uh, they would feel remiss to not include him in the idiot auteurs. So it's like this is what I'm trying to say is like we're trying, you know, further defining this idea because it's like. Well, would those just be proto then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the proto they fit more into the vulgar auteur categorization if we're, if we're going to say it because like i think that the thing is um you can you can have like a sleazy like sight on what you're trying to make like movies like like texas chainsaw massacre 2 even like his directed video stuff like mortuary they still have an artistic quality to them that is like undeniably like hooper and uh, like the, like the mangler like i love that movie and yeah. it's like totally like it's it, it's got all these weird impulses it has all like the same sort of like weird little like 
kitchen sink details and like whatever that we could define in, under this broader category. But the thing about like Toby Hooper's work is that like as a horror filmmaker, I don't think his aspirations aim as high as something that like uh, David Robert Mitchell's trying to do in like Under the Silver Lake, where it's like, I want to make a movie that's like about the political moment and like is about all these different things and whatever. I don't think that Hooper is like, Hooper's aspirations don't out, uh, like out, uh, perform like what he's actually trying to do. Like, I, I think that he always matches what, what his intent is. This is, um, this, I think that's well said. I think that's exactly what I'm trying to get at is like, okay. he's, he's a movie like the Mangler. I mean, you, you, you can't obviously deny that there's a, he is putting a subtext in there about industry, but his main goal is to stay a horror filmmaker to deliver a horror movie, to deliver whatever upon genre lines. Whereas and this obviously gets into a bigger discussion than about where horror is gone. But most of this idiot auteur shit that we're talking about is led by people that got their start making quote unquote horror movies that have never, except maybe for it follows in my opinion, have ever wanted to truly be horror movies. Like they seem to have started um, where most filmmakers try to end up where they cut their teeth, they make genre films, and then they start picking them apart. They de redefine, they recontextualize. But Ari Aster is someone who just got in there and was like, I'm taking it apart, right? These are horror movies. And, <laughs> and then we have to compete with this whole elevated horror bullshit. So it seems like this whole notion of elevated horror is, is turning out to be this new pathway towards idiot auteurism. Mm. interesting i i i don't know because we're not like i guess time will tell because i wouldn't say that someone like robert eggers would fall into this and he has a very similar career trajectory to someone like ari aster um like smaller movies obviously although i think the northman probably had a bigger budget than Bo was afraid i'm gonna did. say the northman's a big ass budget yeah well that's what i mean but like we wouldn't say the Northmen would fall into the same category. Like that's a much bigger budget movie from like an auteur filmmaker. Um, no one's looking at the Northmen. It's like, oh, that guy was full of shit the whole time. Like Northmen's a great movie. Like it bombed <laughs> commercially, but it's like it, it's a well put together piece of cinema. It's it's um, trying to be a movie. He's not trying to do anything seemingly. I mean, I, I saw it. I, I didn't love it, but you know, it's fine. But it's just trying to be a movie. It's trying to yeah. be like historical action movie it's like it's the opposite of i guess what we're talking about it's like yeah. big budget but now you're just trying to deliver a big budget property yeah because because undeniably what like you look at something like the northman it, it is like an auteur work like you, you can see all of egger's fascinations that have been there since the witch like weaved through into the the like barest form of that movie right but it doesn't have like the dumb guy quality because the movie doesn't have like bad kitchen sink ideas thrown in to just like, it doesn't have that ego. Like you don't feel the ego of his auteur like stamp on it. Right. Whereas like Bo is afraid or under the silver, like it's like, Oh, I know the person who made this movie. Like I, I actually like, I think that they're like you in the room like with me right now. Yeah, you guys. I was gonna say you can feel them like sweatily breathing on your ear, watching it, making sure you know that they're there. Because <laughs> like Eggers too, I think it's good evidence towards him not being in this. 
his reaction to the Northman is also great because he fucking hates it. Because he was like, they took that from me. I will never do a budget like this again. I will not do a studio picture again. Like, it's yeah. not, you know. Yeah, and then he's he, like, he, he immediately does it again. And then he's like, well, I'm taking money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like with that, he was able to, like, get back most of the cut he wanted it to be. And, and I honestly think having training wheels on filmmakers is a good thing. You've got to give them like stipulations and obstacles and boundaries because it's the way in which you work through those things that make you a great artist and that's what makes great art that's why when you like have the bumpers up on a big fucking like pitch like like uh Don darko or hereditary it's those limitations and like making the 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 like director cut it down to a certain length and doing all these things that make the movies good because yeah. the second you take those like training wheels or uh, bumpers off or whatever, you've got a fucking nightmare. It's like an unmitigated disaster. It's like it's like their psyche just pouring out, and they there's it's stream of consciousness, and it's like <laughs> an in- depressing anxiety zone. Oh, absolutely. And we used to, and this is what's so fascinating now in this discussion now is we used to have like studios, the people who are the training wheels used to know a little bit about movies <laughs> so they could like help and they could like help get outside of that ego i mean look at like hong kong in the 80s like i you have like johnny toe makes his first movie or well his first movie the movie that's arguably where he's getting up he makes a movie called the big heat but Choi hawk gets in and basically does a lot of the directing but like there was a time when that was like i mean that was a little different i guess that's like artists helping each other that's utopia but you used to have studio heads and even in in hong kong at that time who could say this is you got to trim this you got to trim this but now we're at this like interesting intersection where these studio heads the money people are not film people they've seen the dark night and they had a good time watching the dark night and <laughs> they like they come from wall street they come from like all these different like companies like they they're not it's so when you know i i it, it does make me wonder why they let something like Bo is afraid out i guess they they just got here's my theory they just got a criterion collection subscription to the channel they're i they're they've just saw la ventura they're like holy shit there's this guy named federico something and he made this movie called eight and a half it's crazy like shit's crazy. movies are pretty crazy if you take a second Wait. And then and they're like, you know what? Let this guy, let's let this guy cook. I went to a pre-screening here. That was like the one screen they were doing in an IMAX cinema. And when the credits came up, a fist fight broke out two rows behind me between <laughs> two people. Because of the movie? Yeah, because what someone was texting, and then this guy started yelling that is uh, this girl was texting with and she was with her boyfriend, and another guy started yelling that she was a, a fucking cunt faggot or whatever and then uh the boyfriend started fighting this guy then a fist fight and uh, it was crazy i didn't mean to lie i did see the movie that was me you overheard my argument in the back of <laughs> john was actually fighting with himself yeah, it, was just, it was just me <laughs> you're pulling a fight club just like grabbing your yeah i want to ask the question if one can become this for a movie and then recover and then become it for a movie again and then recover. That's what I want to ask. I, I make the pitch. Let's see. Yeah, let's why don't you put it to the jury? Okay. 
The pitch, the pitch for this one is someone I already mentioned, but the pitch for this is PTA. And this comes one of them that, in my opinion, is confidently fits in this category, one of his movies, and that is Inherent Vice. But I do think he recovered completely from that since then and has gone has come back to be a very interesting and worthwhile filmmaker. And then the other one that I, when I was young, couldn't have disagreed with this more, but someone brought this up to me and I've been thinking about it since, is if Magnolia also falls into this category, even though he before and after recovered, you know. So that's, I guess that's my question. I here. don't think what that whether or not think? you recover factors in. I mean, here's the question. We we can basically say that these are all male filmmakers. They get infinite chances most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you have to fuck up real bad to, to not get another <laughs> chance, right? <laughs> Who's, who has? That's also, let's I do think, that later. But. I, I actually don't know who, who hasn't. Because even like, you know, Richard Kelly still got to make the box. I don't know what happened after that, but maybe that was the one. That I would did. say he's done. <laughs> yeah. Googling Richard Kelly, there's not much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, okay. So, the question is, is PTA yeah. smart or dumb? Yeah, that's really, that's, he, what I, that's what I'm asking. Is he dumb? I, I, I would say yes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like, you, you read about how he just likes to watch the Marvel movies with his kids. He was, like, saying how much he loved Shang-Chi. Me and Dion during the pandemic went to see Shang Chi at the drive-in, and that movie's brutal. we got about half yeah. an hour in, forty-five minutes in, and I was like, "I'm gonna drive out of the drive-in." <laughs> but the thing was, was cars were packed in so tightly that every time I went down a lane trying to get out, I'd get trapped by the cars. So I kept on having to back out and like turn around and do all this, and everyone was honking at me because I was being such a nuisance at the drive-in theater. I'm sure it ruined Shang-Chi for everyone. <laughs> well, that, all right. I mean, I'll Wait, say, so I'll, or go ahead. You can go first. Yeah. You're in. It's interesting. He's very, I think he fits here, but I, I would say this, I would say that he would be perfect for this conversation. If we were back in the nineties and we were talking about, He'd just done Hard Eight and Boogie Nights, and we're like, this guy's good. I'm curious what he's going to do next. And then he does Magnolia. Because I do think Magnolia and Punch Drunk Love almost fit that category. But I think, like, what you're saying, like, I think he he may have shed that kind of idiocy right there and got back up. Because I think now I wouldn't call him an idiot. I would say he's working. He's on a run right now. Well, mean, what about inherent vice? I think inherent vice is just a um, a bad it's movie. a bad pastiche movie. Like just, it's anything? funny because that's maybe my favorite of his films. Ooh, yeah. okay. I, I, I don't I don't dislike inherent vice as much as Will does, but I I do think that it's like it's um it's more just like I don't know if he's the perfect match for the material. Okay. I don't know if he's a. Uh, uh, a, a filmmaker I would describe as Pinchon-esque or whatever. I just don't. Uh, and that's what I mean. Like something like Under the Silver Lake gets closer to that idea to me. Oh, no. Under the like Silver Lake and Silver Tales are better Pinchon movies. Than totally. It, 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 maybe <laughs> that's something we're hitting at is there's usually a flavor of this guy. A little pin- yeah. Most idiot male auteurs try to go Pinchon. Oh, shit. Yeah, actually, Bo, Bo is Afraid is just Gravity's Rainbow. 
That's oh my god! Saying. Yeah, hey. they, holy shit! Because it's taking Grand's crazy ideas and then having satire <laughs> and all this other stuff. <laughs> you think you're arriving at a great goofy place, and oh you, realize, you realize why you got to be a fucking recluse and just exist in <laughs> whatever space you do. Great. Yeah. Because inherent vice should be that. But to me, it doesn't even take enough fucking chances out of that book to be an idiot auteur movie. To me, it's almost played like too safe. Too safe. Yeah, I, I agree. Because I, yeah. I thought when I saw it that it was a very safe um, pension adaptation. Like when I watched it, I was like, oh, he did pension. Like, like I wasn't totally like... I don't share your guys' opinions that that it it it's wrong fit for the material. I think it was like almost too good of a fit for the material where it it, it lacked um any sort of like spark to like make it like an actually like magical, crazy sort of experience that gives you the effect of like either of their work on their own, you know? Yeah, like I, Yeah, I would agree. It's a little it became cool. a normal movie almost, like with how yeah, much it, of a fit it was. A part of me thinks he just kind of wanted to make the long goodbye at some point where maybe I think it's, I think it's more model shop than long goodbye, though. Sure. I mean, it, I, well, my point, but to Louise's point, I think he it needed to get wilder like the book. And he just kind of makes a straightforward. Well, but he does, I mean, he changes a lot of things about the book and kind of creates his own smaller story. So. In that way, I suppose it's not like he failed the book. He just kind of abandoned what was so wildly crazy about the book. And I, I just think it's also one of his least exciting visually, formally. I think like maybe someone on set was like, I got a great idea how to make a stone movie. Let's be stone the whole time. <laughs> Well, uh, unless we're still working on PTA, we can talk about. I mean, because that was an interesting. I think this really has helped define this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it really comes down to whether or not we think that they have sincere intent or dumb guy intent. Like, yeah. like yeah. whether or not there's any wheels turning in their head is is really what it comes down to. <laughs> um, I guess mm. I'll pose the next one, which uh, I'm gonna go with Kevin Smith, which I think fits into the same uh idea of the pta conversation which is i like a lot of kevin smith's movies but mm -hmm. just like going from clerks to mall rats is like a, a shocking comparison okay. right so i i think we can yeah he's made a hell of a lot of movies so we've got a lot to talk about well i'm ready i'm ready for this one because i don't okay i don't think kevin smith fits he leads only with his heart and that is part of the biggest problem that's why i think a lot of his stuff and that even though i love a lot of it that's why i think it's easy to argue that a lot of it isn't good and a lot of it is easy to poke holes full of but i don't think it's because of some cocksure uh viewpoint of the world she was women necessarily though those are there to me, Kevin Smith is just too sincere to be a good artist. <laughs> yes, I think I think that that's it. I think that Kevin Smith is is, is genuinely sincere. I I think that he's. Uh, it's funny, you know what we could actually add into this is is I know Kevin Smith fucks. I don't know about these other filmmakers we've been talking about. We've like, seen that's, his tweet. We've seen his tweet. We know. Yeah, he's... no, we know he fucks, and like, no, that's, that's true, why. Though. That's a big point, though. Is I he, think that's a big he never point. Didn't get late. 
He yeah. never didn't get oh. laid. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he never didn't get laid. So yeah. that I think that's that's a big I think that's it. I think we've cracked it. I think that's the secret is 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 whether or not they fuck. Like did right. they ever have so trouble keeping, getting laid? If you're keeping score at home, here's how we're defining this. <laughs> you're a man, you have probably problematic views towards women. You like you think it's funny to self-flagellate. You love <laughs> Thomas Pinchon. <laughs> And uh, you know you, you don't fuck. You, you don't fuck. <laughs> you don't fuck. This I, is I think we've just named like eighty percent of Hollywood directors right there. True. We're well, doing really good work here. Okay, unfortunately, this is knocking out the one I wanted to discuss, but maybe not. Let's try to we'll give it a toss. Well, let's, it wait, let me, do we, let's explore Kevin Smith a bit more if we're not if we're not done roasting that fucking little piggy. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. Kevin. I really love Kevin Smith. Yeah. I like Chasing Amy is one of my favorite movies. I think that's yeah. like a defining movie for me in, in my adolescence. Well, and he's again, like, I think unlike someone like PTA, who clearly has a an, an incredible understanding of cinematic language and history, right? Like he really does. Kevin Smith is the opposite, where I don't think he gives a fuck about the history of cinema or the language or understanding the craft. But again, he's so genuine and a movie like Chasing Amy, which I know, in my experience, a lot of people who grew up in like uh, urban environments with these and lots of all sorts of different kinds of people, that movie rang false for them. But all I can do is, you know, when I was a, a little kid in Jesus Land, that movie blew my mind. Even though looking back, sure, if we want to say some of the things don't age great, that taught me you know and i and i'd never thought about like slut shaming it's as you said though he's too genuine i i wonder yeah. like any any fucks i well, mean like that's well, he, so important he's genuine but here's i think where we can maybe kind of bend our thinking a little bit so i'm looking at mr kevin smith's uh filmography here and uh so the first movie i think you could probably say that he might have uh stepped on his definitely getting sucked penis is uh dogma now i like dogma but everyone loved dogma, dogma but that, yeah but dogma is beloved so he's get he's getting bigger budgets now they're like all right let's give yeah. this guy, let's give this guy some money so his next movie this is where you could hit on it he gets 22 million dollars for his next movie and it's a shame shame bob strike back which is awesome. I think everyone liked that one too, right? And, yeah, and he also definitely doesn't try to say anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the real question was, did, did he cross over into Dumb Guy O'Tour when he had enough money to just like make any movie he wanted? Yeah. That's like the, that's the point where his career splits. And that's kind of interesting. But at the same time, I, I think that this fits into the same conversation we had with Toby Hooper, which is there's no aspiration to do anything greater than just the thing he is doing. Like he's talked very openly about where he's just like, I just make like my movies with the silly dialogue I'm good at. And there's not really any higher aspiration. Unless, unless, unless Jersey Girl is this exact sin we're talking about. It could be. <laughs> could be. I love because, Jersey Girl. Because that's a, all, that's a $35 million budget. It is. Yeah, well, it's the cast, right? Each of those Wait. two to probably took fifteen million. <laughs> uh, it made it made its money back, but literally only probably got a profit of five hundred k. Actually, what about uh, Cop Out, the one where he was like so 
Chris that, Willis. That's that he didn't write. He didn't yeah. write that one. That is his other 30. And there's there's Sean William Scott showing up again. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. These are the two times he gets that kind of money. And it's Cop Out and Jersey Girl. And those are probably the least Kevin Smith movies. Well, he didn't write one of them. And right. yeah, so I don't know. You know, I think Kevin Smith, I think we're gonna get way too bogged down talking about him because I just don't think he has the aspirations. Like he's not trying to make like edited Kevin is afraid over here. <laughs> Clerks three is probably the closest he got because Cl- Clerks three is baffling. That's you watch true. that movie. But, but the, the, the bow on top of it is during the end credits where he's like. You know, I just clerks has always been in in black and white, and I just wanted to show you guys what it would look like in color when we made the movie. And it's like, <laughs> what? what so well, you did. You gave us clerk two. It's like <laughs> that's all it is. That's that's literally. He's like, I just wanted to see what everyone is what the convenience store looks like in color. That's it. That's that, that was the whole impulse. <clears throat> like, because you could I mean, you could look at that movie as one of these types of like broad swing like. He's making this kitchen sink movie. It's like the last statement he feels he needs to make with film. He's going to go in and make this movie that's about his like fucking heart attack and call on every favor he can to like get all this cast and all this shit. But it, 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 it's such so sincere in its impulses um, that it like works. I don't know. All right. I got two interesting choices, but we'll go with just one since we probably don't want the show to be as bloated as these fucking yeah. movies. I, I've got one more as well. So we can, we can go do one more circle. <laughs> um, so obviously I, for part of me wanted to talk, did anyone want to talk about Damien Chazelle? I mean, I don't want to, but we should. We, we well, should. I, I mean, Babylon <laughs> is one that was when I've been bringing up Babylon. Um, that's what uh, well, we've been bringing up the dumb guy with tour conversation. Everyone brings up Babylon, but the thing is, Babylon's a genuine masterpiece. That that's like the best movie of last year. Oh my Ooh. God, Louise! Woo. Louise, I'm so excited. How many okay. of those estrogen pills are you taking at once? <laughs> Too many, clearly. That's why I'm so sexy. <laughs> we, we have to be back on. Four. That's true. That's true. It's paying off in one way, but in one way, I don't know what the hell you're getting at with Babylon as one of the best movies of last year. Did you wait, totally wait, you, wait? We should we should table Chazelle then because we have to do Babylon and everything everywhere in an episode. Oh, we've talked about it too much. Because Babylon was everything I wanted to see in a movie. I was so happy. But maybe, maybe that's just because my brain's broken. But the thing is, I think that Chazelle is a good filmmaker on the whole. I think um, okay. I'm, I think that his, his movies are consistently good in his own voice and in a way where I see the intent. Like, I, I I look at Babylon, I can see, like, genuine intent behind every choice. It's not like some guy going like, oh, this will be cool. Like, I feel like there's, like, something he's trying to do with that movie. Whether it's he's successful or not is, like, outside of the conversation of whether or not he's a dumb guy or tour. Uh, we, we might have the complete opposite feelings on this movie, but we'll get to that another time. We'll get to that another time because we've already yeah. done this stupid podcast. We've already talked about fucking Babylon, and I, I can't even... I, Wait, so- but I'm also, I'm also excited for future or for now. I, I get excited anyone whose opinion, opinion I respect, which Louise, yours is one of them immensely, disagrees with me completely on something. So I am excited to talk about this. Amazing. We'll do a we'll do a Patreon episode where we ha- we rehash Babylon, but now with someone likes <laughs> the movie, so that'll be it'd be interesting. Okay, so here's the thing. The, the, here's all I'll say. 
I was not expecting to see like an $80 million studio movie that in its like first scene is a guy like getting head from an underage prostitute who he then kills by overdosing her on drugs. And I was like, movies are back. This is awesome. Uh, see, I could see that as someone who just saw Wolf of Wall Street and is like, man, you remember how right before the pandemic, there was some fucking, there were some movies that went there, man. There were some movies that like did some shit, bro. And it's like, fuck, here's what we're going to do. This horse is going to take a shit. Or it's the elephant. elephant, whatever, give a shit. <laughs> you know, this animal is going to take a shit on someone. Then we're going to do cocaine by people, filmed by people who clearly have never done cocaine. And then we're gonna we're going to be sucking and fucking. It's going to be like Marty, but crazier. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> this, is too, this is too tempting. This You're is, just saying good uh, things. Like, isn't that what movies are for? I, like, I don't. <laughs> Uh, this okay don't do not tempt me anymore all right this is too big for <laughs> pollinated flower for us our little bee we're we're trying to all fuck <laughs> so get back to babylon another day let here's one that will be very interesting to uh divide and conquer here because to me this guy seems like he could define it all all right let's go through the characteristics again all right has a little maybe issues towards women. I don't know if Fox might have had an interest in Thomas Pinchon at one point. Uh, what else do we have? I mean, those are the that's the holy trinity. That, that, that's kind of our, our okay. hooks on this one. Let's Here's keep going. Guy who I think has consistently attempted this oh. throughout his entire career. And that's almost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I mean, over I'm, I'm about 20 movies that get funded, get funded by a studio. And that's uh that's Ridley Scott. Oh, oh here we go. Now, oh, okay. Now here, yes. Yeah, so we're talking about a guy who starts oh, off with two of the best movies ever. I mean, Alien to me is it's just a hands down masterpiece. Can't touch it. Don't fuck with it. Shut the book. Then you have the Blade Runner movie. You got the Blade Runner movie, Blade Runner. And uh, there's a guy who had maybe some weirder interest. I mean, uh, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that someone like Philip K. Dick and Thomas Pinchon don't have a lot of similar things. There. Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, Richard Kelly's whole shtick is dumb guy Philip K. Dick. That's how I pitch him. Oh, totally. Um, so like that's see. why his movies are good because he yeah. he he's like a frat boy who bought a who bought a copy of Alice and was like, I'm gonna do this. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. That's, and it's amazing. That's why he's like one of my favorite filmmakers. <laughs> absolutely. And it's you know Thomas Pynchon and Valet. You know they there's a they're similar. Oh, absolutely. No, similar. absolutely. And and so, you guys know I I, I fucking love Dick. <laughs> Yes, we know. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Valis is my favorite book. Um, yeah, I, hey, yeah. I'm, we will agree on that. That I will put Valis in my top five any day. Yeah. No, like, like honestly, like doing like Ubik would be like my dream adaptation. Oh, like, so there you go. So you try to do yeah. something like that. That is where you start stepping into that idiot auteur zone because it's like, yeah. can I take these insane grapplings with the world? And humanity and all the different facets of our emotions and just somehow put it all into one concept. It's it's it might be the ultimate goal of the idiot auteur. 
And that's why many are not suited to do it. Mm-hmm. So here's the one wrench I'll throw in for Ridley Scott. Yes. Oftentimes his director's cuts are better than the theatrical cuts. That's true. Interesting. Do you have which means that his his impulses are the better impulses? Like he actually fixes some of his studio notes. Yeah. That, the counselor, that, the counselor, especially. Yeah, counselor, yeah. King the of the Heaven. Counselor. I mean, like these are movies that like vastly different. Where like you're like, oh no, his impulses were the right ones. Like so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he really starts it off pretty hard after Blade Runner. I mean, Legend. Yeah, no, Legend is like the most insane to maybe fit into this category. Um, but at the same time, I I can see that he had ideas that he wanted to explore in it. And I think he succeeds at those ideas. Like, I don't think it's that Emperor's New Clothes thing. Like, I think he actually genuinely has some intent behind what he's doing with his career. Absolutely. He's also just interesting because like, I, like when we talk about like the aspiration thing, I do not know if Ridley Scott like ever in his career aims for something that is as like huge of a of, of like a left-wing swing as something like Bo's Afraid or Southland Tales like I, I I think that all of his movies kind of fit into that like similar zone we've been talking about with like even like Kevin Smith and PTA where it's like there's a consistency to the work and what he's trying to accomplish with that work and even though he's working on some of the biggest budgets of anyone we've talked about those are still like designed as like studio movies that would have a palatable audience right yeah yeah i I would say he's still there though because he tries Mm -hmm. to do shit like the counselor right like the prometheus is a huge crazy swing Prometheus (laughs) is probably the the one that would be the most thinking through his career prometheus is probably the one that would fit the most into this because that's like the biggest like swing that also kind of operates as a weird like kitchen sink audience fuck you right like it's it's very interesting it's a bizarre movie. Um, I mean, what would you say about... Uh, hmm. What about Gladiator? Well, Gladiator is kind of just like... That's like... It's dumb, idiot filmmaking at its highest degree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the movies are dumb, but I think he's smart. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like, I think he's, but yeah. I think sometimes he knows how to do it. And then sometimes you make Robin Hood. Well, here's the thing. We, we can accuse him of being lazy, but I don't think that you can accuse him of being dumb. Right. Like there's times where he phones it in, but it, that's, that's so different than like, like the filmmakers we've been talking about where it's like, oh, I'm, this is like, this is everything I've ever wanted to do with cinema. And they make like a fucking train wreck, right? Like, I don't think that, I think that usually what Ridley Scott wants to do and how much effort he wants to put into it pays off on screen in like a very balanced way. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that does because he is like, as his career has gone on, he has like shown away any semblance of a style of a, of any sort of like formalism that helped define him. I think he's the ultimate filmmaker. It's really hard. He's completely let the let go of almost in many ways every aspect of the of filmmaking because they they get less and less um authorial. They they lose less and less they, they're less and less distinct, which is in its own way 
very dis- like distinct. Well, it, actually, as a matter of fact, this is a better conversation because I would actually put really Scott in that camp of filmmakers who are more like I think it was in Kehe de Cinema that when they're defining like like authorship and and like the whole auteur sensibility, they would like they had another term that was like mature and scene, which was like this idea of a filmmaker who is like consistently good, like they make good films, but there's not that like authorial stamp that's like so clear that you'd get on like a John Ford or Howard Hawks movie, right? Like they, they use like Michael Curtis as a example where it's like, you know, he's making good movies, but they're all very like, each movie is like its own good movie. You're not getting that sense of authorship that you're getting over like a career, like where like you put on a Hitchcock movie, you know, it's a Hitchcock movie. Like Ridley Scott, I think that he is not a filmmaker where if you put on a movie of his, you immediately know it's a Ridley Scott movie. I mean, like, if you're well, you know, well-trained eye, I mean, we're all, like, insane sicko cinephiles, so, I mean, we're going to be able to tell. But, like, it's not as identifiable as, like, a Wes Anderson or PTA or something, right? Yeah, but he seems to have even let less control go than Michael Curtis, you know? It's, like, this guy, where Michael Curtis, like, got, his career went so hot up until the 50s, and then he starts phoning it in. I think, like... There's something distinct and very original about, and I don't mean this in a positive way, about Ridley Scott's career because somehow he makes movies that are insane budgets and they don't really carry much of a, he doesn't take chances with them. But he does with Counselor. He comes back with Counselor. Okay, but my point is, is he makes that one, but all these movies like lose money. (laughs) Like, they I think you've sold me on it in the sense of like now, the more I think about Ridley Scott, the more I think that he is kind of just a dumb guy who just like knocks out of the park sometimes. Like, yeah. but I, I think it's just he's not as bold in his dumbness, right? Like he, he doesn't have like the <laughs> bold like um attitude that you need to have to make saying like Bo is afraid. He's like a little bit more nonchalant about it. He's just like vibing, making movies, and some of them are really good, some of them aren't. And I, I, yeah, I could see him being a dumb guy auteur in that sensibility. Actually, here's the thing. I think that Ridley Scott is a dumb guy director, but is he a dumb guy auteur? Okay. It's the better conversation. Because like, you know, it's that idea of like, I can tell so strongly that like, like that arc from Hereditary to Bo is Afraid is like, it makes perfect sense how you get connecting those dots to get to that movie. But like, from like alien to the counselor or something it's like the it 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 doesn't even feel like the same filmmaker no but but if you go from gladiator all the way through you're like there he is that's the guy because gladiator seems to change his entire thrust of his career i mean he does make hannibal like right after it but you know that's like uh (laughs) which hannibal's an insane movie like that movie's (laughs) crazy I yeah. yeah, I mean it is. And then but then he stayed, but then he but then he settles and then it's Black Hawk Down, um Matchstick Men, which is has its own idiosyncrasies, but you know and it has a really unhinged Nicolas Cage performance. Right. You know? Then it's Kingdom of Heaven, Good Year, American yeah. Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood. Yeah. And then, I asked uh, Allison Lohman, star of Matchstick Men, if she would be in uh, my new movie. And she said, fuck no. But good luck. It sounds great. Good luck. You should wait. add that to the Kickstarter. 
<laughs> Damn, that's too bad. I'm ardently against this film. Give me your money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, was... sounds sounds like a good movie, but like, no, I will not be in that movie after descri- <laughs> after describing what the movie's about. Yeah, yeah. Instead, I'm just gonna continue not working. <laughs> She's rich. She's offer only. She's offer only now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She's loaded. She was loaded before she started acting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she came out the gate. Yeah. Yeah, one. she just she just she just likes to do movies sometimes. Yeah, she's cool. I like I love her. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's great in uh one of our favorites, Beowulf. Oh. Yes. We're not gonna go deep talk too hard on Robert Zemeckis, but let's just make this very quick. Do we think he approaches there? At no. No, I go no. Then no we continue. I was testing you, Louise. We're good and <laughs> moving on. Because no, I was no. expecting someone to maybe say welcome to Marwin, but no. that is not a dumb no. move. But it is a wild risk that it's like, why did anyone, why did any <laughs> studio okay that? Well, that's what it can look like when you're not a fucking idiot and you have, you know, said yes in some ways that are not awesome throughout your career, but maintained integrity. <laughs> yes, you, exactly. For whatever reason, someone will finally say yes to that. <laughs> I agree. I'm. We all agree on that. What about Tim Burton? No. No. Never. Never. No. He's consistently good. Even his bad movies are consistently in the like ballpark of what he's doing. You know, like I, also, I don't think he overshoots it ever. Like right, like even something like Big Eyes, which I think fails pretty badly. But Alice in Wonderland is that not overshoot anything no because he no, doesn't it was, it was a hit and it was like it's look at the slate of of disney live action reboots right like it's it fits right in it's probably the best one out of all of those like you know like it's its own genre thing it's the same thing i said at the start when i was talking about how like Ugh. you hit a studio point where it's like that that's not as much the filmmaker as it is just an ip that that they've been you know grabbed to direct i don't i don't think that's like his dream project or something yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. No, he's been consistently trying to make things. Yeah, like I think that for Tim Burton, I think his like biggest dream project is probably something like Ed Wood, and that's a great movie. Uh, yeah. Right? Like well, Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas is probably like his number one, like you know, thing he was doing, but he didn't, you know, his his input on that was a little bit strained, right? From the. Well, he's got three in a row where he kind of he goes a little hard. I mean, Batman Returns. You know, he's lucky that didn't sink his career because the certainly every brand sponsor on that movie, it was, you know, it was, yeah. that was like, I'm not, I can't believe this is what you did with this money. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I think that the, the definition doesn't work for him because I think that his biggest failures aren't movies that are like the that impulse of like, this is my kitchen sink movie. This is everything I've ever wanted to say with cinema, right? Like it's usually him doing adaptations or sequels or something like that. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to criticize his remake of Charlie and the chocolate factory. Cause it's not like that was like his fucking everything I ever wanted to put in a movie dream project. No, you know? but here's where I will throw the last wrench here. I will agree with that because I think those are him getting a bag and he's just like, I'm working with this Johnny Depp guy, whatever. I'll keep doing it now. This is not an IP. This is an IP project, but it's not something that was going to like 
it's like there are no like there's no like test scores to be like this is what's testing high with the kids this seems like something he wanted to make (laughs) now i don't really remember it (laughs) but maybe someone else does are you gonna name the planet of the apes remake no i wasn't gonna do that um (laughs) i was gonna do uh dark shadows i mean that's the that's still just ip that's what I, I mean. I said. I think that was something he was genuinely passionate about remaking, but it it doesn't have. It's such. It, it's so exactly what that movie you'd expect from rebooting that soap opera. Like it's it's it it it's like Tim Burton by that point in his career too is just like doing himself over and over. Like there's not really surprises with what you're getting out of a Tim Burton movie. It's kind of the same way with like the Kevin Smith conversation, where it's like it's a consistent filmmaker who's just kind of doing the same swing every time. Whereas, like, there's something so bold about the, like, Donnie Darko to Southland Tales, like, turn, right? Like, those are the types of filmmakers who I think fit this categorization better because it's, like, blowing all your goodwill immediately is so important to it. Yeah, that's true. Blowing your goodwill immediately. All right. Can I ask one more before we wrap it up? Who came no, to mind? This is where well, if you've got the big hitters, let's hear them. I've I've got one more too. So we yeah, we, we, we both got one. So this will be a quick one because I think I you'll both be able to guess how I feel about this anyway. But what about my boy Gore Verbinski with a cure for wellness? You know what's funny is when we when we were when we were talking with Tim Burton, Gore Verbinski popped into my head. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and I really I love him as a filmmaker personally. But me too. Yeah, but that is the first time in his whole career that he went full tilt. It was not tied to anything. And, you know, two and a half hours throws it all in. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Here's here's my question for, for Gore Verbinski. Did he ever make a movie that fits that criteria of being taken like so seriously as an auteur before that? Like, I like, I think he's a consistent filmmaker. But like, where's that yeah, starting that. place? Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, like that's maybe true. the ring, but like even then, that's a studio. Like you know, like that's like I don't know. Yeah. Like it where's should be the... Mouse Hunt, but no. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mouse Hunt's one of my favorites. I yeah, love that movie so much. It's the Mexican. It's the Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Well, well, I mean, I'm what about what about the Lone Ranger? Oh. Uh, is that I mean that's not like IP that's like damn the kids really want to see Tonto and the Low Ranger. Well, no, like, Cure for Wellness definitely fits the criteria because it's that like bold tourist swing because like that's clearly a movie he specifically wanted to make. That was like his big swing. I just don't know if he had the goodwill like like what I just said in that last like when we were talking about Tim Burton. It's like if he had the built-in like the hereditary before yeah like he, he if, if he went from the ring to cure for wellness then yes that's exactly what we'd be talking about yeah but i think that the, the space between the movies it's kind of like we got a feel for who gore verbinski was in that time he did some studio flicks that clearly weren't like big but like you look at some of his movies like like the weatherman and stuff he still has like a really crazy sensibility and whatever in terms <laughs> of what he's doing um but I, I don't see that that lineage between like like if he had been building up um clout through his whole career and then does cure for wellness and that killed it, that would be different because he had so many ups and downs in his career before then. But like, I, I think that such a big part of the dumb guy tour is it's that that reveal of the emperor's new clothes. It's the it's it's that 
oh, we thought this guy was brilliant, and then he made this. I think that that's such an important part of it. Yeah, and I'm not, I don't know if Cure for Wellness, just because I think it's more of like a, uh, I got the money to make the kind of like genre movie I would like to make. I wouldn't say that that movie like really tries to like investigate these kind of like narcissistic tendencies. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And he also he doesn't he doesn't hate women or be obsessed with Pinchon. So yeah, I mean, he clearly loves <laughs> he clearly loves the movie Barren Blood, and he's <laughs> That's trying right. to do that. Uh, hey, I mean, I'll take I'll take more of that any day. All right, so Louise, round us out. What's your uh, okay? Tri- here's here's my controversial one. I'm ready to go for it. So certainly none of these have sparked controversy. So let's uh, none of I, I, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Chimino. Oh, okay, right. You go from Deer Hunter, Heaven's Gate, and then Year of the Dragon. Yeah, shit. <laughs> all right which, give, like, here, i have a lot to build say. up all that goodwill with De- goodwill with deer hunter uh-huh. and i feel heaven's gate fits our criteria really well like even in the director's cut it's just it's it's such a bloated mess of a movie i see the terrible is, impulses i don't agree it's a great think, film i love I the movie. movie i don't know if it's even bloated i think that movie is one of those like it got it's like horribly caught up in the hype of when newspapers used to write about budgets and be like, can you believe what the fuck they're doing with these budgets, these fucking people? And then like, it just, it, it, I think that movie was all hype and it got its bad reputation because of the shitty cut that came out. And then I just, I don't know. I, I will hear more on it, but I do think that this movie heaven's gate is a fucking masterpiece of filmmaking that, well, I, I think self tales is a masterpiece of filmmaking. I, I, I think the big thing, and also, you know, you're, you're, you're also just like holding it to a higher degree just because of the fact that it was made in like the seventies. I mean, 1980, I guess, but like, I don't know if that's the case. I think I'm holding it to higher degree because it's a really fucking good movie. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I love, I love Chimino. I think that they're like uh, a fantastic uh, director with the limited amount of work they made over their career. I just, I think they fit the, 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 the dumb guy auteur classification. Um, I, I think that that their movies have this like weirdo resentment towards women, which which I mean, in Chimino's case comes out of the fact that they were a closeted trans woman through their whole career, which is which is just such a makes yeah. perfect sense. You watch Year of the Dragon, you're like only a trans woman could have made that. Fucking movie. <laughs> um, love that film so much. Yeah. But yeah. like we, um, love, we love Nikki here. We're yeah. big fans of Nikki yeah. Chimino. Love Nikki Chimino. Well, that's, but I like, think I agree with you if what you said, right? Because you said Southland Tales is a masterpiece of cinema. John said Heaven's Gate is a masterpiece of cinema. If I'm allowed to agree that both of them are, then I, then I, then I think this absolutely works for Chimino. Yeah. I, I think it works for Chimino because, because the thing is, is it, it, it's that perfect storm. It's, it's, it's them building up the goodwill, their first two movies. Then you you get the blank check kitchen sink movie, which is Heaven's Gate, which has all of the weird impulses we talk about. We never at any point said that the 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 dumb guy or tour movie has to be bad. It just has to be like it's true. Um, like kind of like 
it, it needs that sort of like runaway train effect where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this person had that much power to yeah. make this, right? Um, yeah. And then like, you know, kind of like Richard Kelly, you get one more shot at a studio picture years later and you make You're the Dragon, which just like <laughs> highlights every detail of what like like of what their filmmaking career was doing up to that point like you're the dragon is a is a perfect dumb guy auteur movie like i would agree with that it's brilliant it's one of my favorite movies of all time but like structurally every impulse is weird it throws so much stuff in there that is just like completely baffling um and, and and at the end of the day, it's just, it, it, it's undeniably Chimino. Like all of their movies are undeniably Chimino. And it's just like, it's a beautiful career. It's like truly outstanding. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I think they're like the prototype of the dumb guy auteur. I, wow. I think, I think that that's like really, I, I think they're the first one to really like nail it. I, I mean, we could, we could, Definitely do a more historical session, like really go back in time and try to figure this out, see who the first one was. But like in terms of like exemplifying the energy that we get out of our Astors and our Kellys and our Robert Mitchells and stuff, it's like Chimino embodied it perfectly. I will say this because I agree. I halfway agree with you and I don't also because I think Heaven's Gate is like it is weird. It has its weird impulses, but it's also like that movie was crazy and still remains to be crazy, mostly because I think of the scope and the like production design that went into that, that he overblew all the fucking budget on trying to get a, the perfect period train in there. And it does go into some like some weird shit, but I do th- to me, I find Heaven's Gate, if we're talking about these like kind of weird investigations of the creator's psyche, I don't know if I see Heaven's Gate in that. I do see Year of the Dragon a little bit in that. And that certainly helps with where he was and where his co-writer Oliver Stone was at that time. Yeah. But I think even closer to maybe what you're getting at could be follow-up to Year of the Dragon, which is the Sicilian. Um. And I think the Sicilian gets closer there because it has that scope, but it is very dumb guy. <laughs> like yes. Salvatore Giuliano would have never fucking like been this. Gi- he was never this gigantic, beautiful, like he- folk hero that Sicilian bandit that Chimino seems to think he is. He definitely worked with the people that the movie is against, uh, but the movie fully commits to this like hero worship of Salvatore Giuliano and it doesn't help that fucking uh Christopher Lambert's playing him. Oh no, and it, it, it's just dumb guy godfather. It's, so it's amazing. <laughs> like it's the worst yeah. actor of all fucking time. <laughs> and he's just... Yeah. That that cuz that is in that wild like that that was ever like considered like we're going to try to capitalize it, it hits so much of it because it's like we're gonna try to like exploit the success of the Godfather movies. So let's just take another tr- like uh because is that Mario Puzo who wrote the original? Yeah, it, yeah, it is Mario. Oh, yeah. So you know, and then it's got like the the Corleone's factor into it, but then it just like it does this gigantic scope. It, it's it's like Heaven's Gate and uh and and Year of the Dragon just got 
boom, like blasted into each other. And it's such a weird movie. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think this works is because you have like, you know, he starts his career, building up to Goodwill, does Heaven's Gate, which which wastes all of it. And then he spends the rest of his career making these really weird like movies that can never be as bold of a swing as Heaven's Gate was, but still have all of his weird idiosyncrasies. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see with all these other filmmakers. I mean, Richard Kelly only got one other chance. I mean, I, I guess Chimino had like four other movies after Heaven's Gate or whatever, but like, but Astor is going to be the same way. We're, we're going to we're going to watch Astor's career is going to literally be like the same as Chimino. And who knows? Maybe Astor will figure some things out when it, he's seventy <laughs> years old. Ari Astor. You're sure looking at me at Sundance a lot, so I don't know. I have that effect on people. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not, he's not going to be the sun chaser anymore. That's right. he's chasing something else. That's right. That's a that's a <laughs> fucking good joke, John. That rocks. Well, maybe on that note, we'll uh, close up shop for. for well, the- let's uh, before before we finish it, uh, we want to talk about um, Louise's latest film. Yeah, which so I, I yeah I'll, just I'll, launched I'll, a Kickstarter for, it, and I will yeah. say before you climb in, I just want to very emphatically tell a true story, which is that when you came to town one of these times. We were sitting on my couch and you asked if I wanted to see a little, a couple minutes of what you were working on. And I was like, oh yeah, of course I do, you know. Um, And you said, there's 30 minutes, but we'll just watch a little bit. And you turned it on and after about eight minutes, you tried to skip ahead. And I said, please don't. And we just sat and watched it. And I was absolutely floored. And since then, I've seen another hour of this and continue to be floored um, already by this film. The epic, speaking of epics. So with that said, please let everyone know um, what's coming. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, everyone comments on the fact that I'm pitching it as the six and a half hour epic. (laughs) And what I've tried to express is that the movie's original plan was to be 80 minutes long. And then I had that experience with Will. And they say to me about 20 minutes in during a scene where one of the characters is having this going away party for their breasts because he's going to get top surgery to have his, his breasts removed. Will turns to me and says, you know, you can't cut a fucking second of this, right? <laughs> and I go, but Will, the movie will be like six or seven hours long. Will goes, yeah, you're making a six hour movie then, I guess. <laughs> and I go, okay, okay. And I, we've stuck to it and it keeps getting longer. Uh, currently with the amount of script i've shot and the amount of cut i have like and i've been like so tough on like cutting down scenes to making sure that this is like just gold the movie will i i think i measured out it could be like 600 minutes long uh yeah which which is <laughs> welcome to the idiot auteurs uh club right there i'm uh, it, uh, you know what it is everything i want to put in a movie until my next movie um (laughs) but um i i would really appreciate if you'll check out the campaign we've got a really cool little trailer um i'm trying to make it um and it's like doesn't cost a lot of money for me to make a movie i've made a lot of movies with very little money but this one i i care a lot about and i would like to finish it faster computer hearts took a really long time because i had to like pay for things myself 
and this movie is going to also take a long time because I'm paying for everything myself, but maybe with a Kickstarter, I can speed up the process mm -hmm. and then we can like premiere it at some big festival. I mean, the real question is, is, is anyone going to want to screen my insane, uh, 12 hour movie that's about like a trans woman who just gets raped a whole bunch i don't know i mean i think so i think i think people will and you know? also i have to, <laughs> I have to shout out too because it's so important to me as a lover of different mediums of most people that shoot high shoot high eight and Louise is shooting this movie on high and it looks fucking incredible already in the heavily compressed version that I'm watching. So yeah, well, the plan is to, to take the high eight and then like do the, the blow up to 35 that we saw with all the dogma movies. Right. So it has like a really nice, weird mix of texture between the artifacting and the grain. Yeah. Um, I don't I can't really think of any other movies shot on high eight. You'd be the person to ask. Is there anything like, like, full on features? On yeah, I'm trying to think of any features shot on High 8 specifically because High 8 was so short-lived in the consumer video market. Well, there's never, part, yeah. there's, there's part of Center of the World, the Wayne Wang one, but I don't think the whole thing is High 8. And also a couple moments, I know some of Julian Donkey Boy is High 8, but not the whole thing either. So I don't know if there's any entirely High 8 movies. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, is the sequence in all that really choo-choo in the middle High 8? That might be High 8. Which one? All that Lily Choo Choo. Oh, that might digital scene. That might be high eight. Yeah, it looks like high eight, but it could be DV. I mean, everything looks like DV, right? Because like DV was like the better format at the time. Well, but, but everything I, only looks like DV if people don't know how to shoot high eight, which is why I got so excited when you showed me your footage. <laughs> well, because high eight looks nicer. That's the thing. Like high eight is way better than DV tape. Mm -hmm. It's also really funny. Um, I couldn't source new tapes for this movie. Um, so I'm filming over my childhood home movies. <laughs> wow. So it's like, it's like, you know, there's a deeply like evil energy to, to the <laughs> film. There's like this, like, we're like, I'm taping over like, like footage of me as like a, a six year old playing with my camera, making my little brothers act for me. And I'm like doing a little performance and I'm like taping over with me, like sucking a cock. Like that's cool. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Good. That's and also, if if you are going to be the first dumb girl on tour, no better way to go fucking computer hearts into this movie. I know, like computer hearts into this. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I think that the computer hearts was universally hated when I released it. It took 10 years for people to be like, hey, this is actually kind of crazy. This is cool. This is interesting. This is going to be immediately like, in a way I've never felt before with saying I've made this this feels like a genuinely like good movie. Like it, it really yeah. does. We and it. yeah, our, we're running the campaign for two more weeks. So help us, yeah. and we'll, help us hit our budget. We'll, um, yeah. we'll share that. We'll share that shit on our Instagram and all that stuff too. So hop yeah. in. I yes. Let, let Louise make uh, her love exposure. We want to, uh, we want to see that type of movie. Please. Love Exposure is like one of my all-time favorites. Structurally, this is very similar to Love Exposure. We definitely do the thing where we... I'm shocked by it. I was just listening to it and I'm like, I'm hearing Love Exposure. This sounds... <laughs> I mean, like, Love Exposure has like one of the best castration scenes and this is going to top it with with uh, mm -hmm. truly the best castration scene you'll ever see. It, I I don't want to give anything away, but like the way this movie ends is is probably the like 
I'm going to go out so far as to say, I think that this movie will have the most fucked up scene in any movie in history. Can I ask one question? So you said there's a scene of you sucking a cock over footage of your childhood. Does the castration That's scene the take is no, that no, just on the tape? I'm not oh. like I'm not like superimposing it. <laughs> Literally, that, that would be. That. I know that. You know what? Maybe I know you're not like. I know you're ideas. not like his Wadu Cinnamon. You sucking dick and like here's. <laughs> but there's does the castration come during the blowjob scene? I have an issue with like blowjob castration stuff ever since last. No, time. no, no, no. No one's no, no, no. I get castrated. Oh, okay, okay. Great. The question is, am I being castrated while giving a blowjob? You have to watch. No, I was. Is the dick getting <laughs> going to get bitten off? Or no, like, I'm not. Gonna, no, that's that's been done. Well, that's yeah. been done, John. Why I would I do that? that? If, I know, and it's ruined me. And it's, <laughs> it's well, so, it's particularly a nervy issue right now. But yeah, um, no pun intended. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I but, mean, uh, like, okay. So Just, so much of the movie is, is like like I mean just like to to be more like frank about it like i i really did want to respond to what i feel is like a gap in terms of like the amount of sex we're seeing in movies and like we very rarely see like uh trans sex in movies and stuff like that i mean not in feature length films at least and not done in a way that's not like you know aggressive rape or something like i i, I joke that there's a lot of rape in this movie there's not there's like there's a little bit, but like um, mostly the movie has like really interesting, like positive depictions of sex and stuff like that. I, I think that it's also all unsimulated sex, which is like kind of fun to do in a movie. Yeah, I basically just was like, I was horny and I was like, you know what? If I just pick up a camera, I can fuck all my hot friends. And, <laughs> you know, that that six and a half hours later, I'll be like winning Sundance or whatever. And I'll say that. <laughs> I'll go up and be yeah, like, I, you guys just enabled me to like fuck a bunch of people. Like this is just a casting couch exercise. Like <laughs> sounding more like Sono every day. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, well. All right. I gotta go take these edibles here and just knock. Sounds them. good. I okay. hope I don't get into too much you. trouble for this podcast. This well, well, we a also great time. Well, we've all been in trouble before together. So uh. <laughs> I I really do like being in trouble with you guys. I think that it's great. <laughs> we I, love I, you. We love and, uh, <laughs> I, I do say I I do say in my director's statement for this movie that the three biggest points of comparison, I, I say the movies that inspired this the most and have also had the biggest effect on my relationship with my transsexuality are breaking the waves, gummo, and actors. So and then I refuse to elaborate. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're part of actors is definitely a big part of what we do. We've done together. I don't That's know right. why that that became such a bonding moment for us, but me neither. There we are. But it did, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna make jokes on this one. I'll just let you guys. <laughs> but, uh, Sorry, am I digging a hole on this on this recording no. of a podcast that will dig. be uh, shared? And will these will these clips hopefully be like uh, used against me in the future when someone yes. builds a case against me? The way this is going to be edited is going to make you come off as a monster. While <laughs> are gonna... you can just put it in raw, and I'll come across <laughs> as a monster. Yeah, like what are you talking about? That's <laughs> like my whole that's my whole brand. Is how fucking much of a. Fucking little uh -huh. cunt I am. It's perfect. <laughs>
Well, it, you were you fit very nicely into this uh, snug little sect of uh, I don't know, just stupid. <laughs> nah, watching too many movies rots your brain and makes you a bad person. And I think right. that's really what it comes down to. One hundred percent. Yeah, dissolves yeah. all your morals. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us for Idiot Auteurs, everyone. Somehow we did this and didn't talk about Francis Ford Coppola or John Milius, but somehow. Which is great, though. We'll be back again because obviously this episode is going to skyrocket us into the stratosphere of success. So I think it's the best thing we've ever done. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) I think it is. Well, thank you, Louise. We love you. Love you guys so much, too.